Hello, everybody, and welcome back to My Favorite Friendship. I'm Mark Musinski. And I'm Brian Wool. And we are friends. And this is a podcast about friendship. True friendship podcast, actually. Think of it like a true crime podcast, but instead of uh, crimes, we're talking about friendships. The most interesting ones we can find from history, from the present, and hopefully by sharing their stories, we can all learn to become better friends today. But this isn't just a podcast by friends, about friends. It's also a podcast for friends, which means you guys right now are our new best friends. So I'm pretty excited about that. And it's also a podcast that's meant to be shared with friends. So if you have friends, and I bet you do, please take a moment to find an episode of this podcast you think one of them might enjoy and send it over. And the other thing we like to do is check in with each other, because that's what friends do, especially in times like this that are pretty crazy. So, Brian, how has your week in friendship been? Oh, man, what a week, Mark. Uh, well, I had my birthday, so that was really cool. Yeah. Yeah, Alyssa turned it's... our apartment into Disneyland. So uh, she made the, uh, the hallway uh, into, like, the Matterhorn, and she drew the Abominable Snowman. Uh, uh, the bathroom she turned into the Jungle Cruise. She got like the sounds of the Jungle Cruise ride, and some inflatable animals and cool lights. Uh, she got these. Did like, she do the Jungle Cruise speech, or did was there like a video? She had it. She had it on an audio playing. So yeah, right. it was just on loop the whole night. And then uh, the living room was turned into the Tiki Room. Uh. And we we Love got tiki we had Dole whips. She made uh, she had all these like uh, paper cutout parrots and stuff from Party City that she got. Uh, that's <laughs> uh, great. Yeah, and then uh, the the kitchen she turned into like Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, and she had lasers and Star Wars music, and um, she even got dry ice from uh, <laughs> Sherman Oaks. This ice. <laughs> plant yeah i was very, like dry ice from sherman oaks is sherman oaks a, a well-known dry ice purchasing location it's like the big ice warehouse for the la area so like if you need snow for a shoot or for a party or something they got snow if you need big blocks of ice for something they got blocks ice and if you need dry ice wow. you can go get dry ice and Alyssa got uh 10 pounds of dry ice <laughs> Damn, that is a lot of dry ice. Yeah, you just got to show up with your own cooler. That's great. Uh huh. So, um, so was were you? Did you have any friends over other than the two of you? We did. We did. Uh, uh, since uh, since they were on a break from from shooting uh, Try Guys, uh, Keith came over with with Becky, his wife, and we we got oh, to great. hang out with friends for the first time and. Uh, a while, <laughs> yeah, and uh, and and our buddy uh, Mary, who who lives by herself, uh, but you know, work with us, and we take care of each other's dogs. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so that was real nice. It was that's great. It was the most people I've seen since before Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, I had my my birthday's in June, so it was like early in the pandemic, back when you could sort of like gather slightly Mm -hmm. with slightly less fear um and i and i i think i got to see you and and Alyssa and keith and becky too but 
uh, I'm just so used to birthdays being a big friend time. Yeah. Um, that I'm glad we were able to do that because without that, I would have felt, I would have just felt like it didn't even happen. Oh, it was, it was so much fun. Uh, but also since it was also the same day as the insurrection at the Capitol, everybody was like, you know, pretty rocked. So uh, that's fair. So it was. It was. You know. Unfortunately, the day the day uh, it was colored with a weird paintbrush of mm-hmm. of that. But you know, I, I don't know. My brother is born on September 11th, so I'm I'm used to having terrible shit happen on birthdays, and so <laughs> I've I've seen it happen. And you're like, well, what do you do? <laughs> you know, and it, I yeah. You know, I remember uh, on my brother's birthday on on uh, September 11, 2001, we went out to dinner still. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the thing is, but like, that's what's tricky. I feel like people like to, not everybody, but oftentimes, I think people like to behave like, like there's like a scarcity of room in the universe for multiple things to exist. Yeah. It can definitely be a horrifying tragedy. And a child's birthday. And, like, just, you know what I mean? Like, they don't negate each other. Yeah, we talked about it. We were like, yeah, this happened. But, like, that doesn't mean that Mark's birthday is canceled now. And doesn't mean that mine was last week either. It's just... (sighs) The world is full of beautiful and awful things. And they all are happening at the same time. Yeah. And the fact that you might try to appreciate in whatever way you can both of them simultaneously doesn't mean you're doing it any more or less than anyone else yeah it's, it's wacky wacky world but uh yeah we you know this podcast is dedicated to celebrating friendship but the friendship that i'm covering this week for us mark actually uh has a legendary breakup that uh Ooh, lasts, okay lasts for quite a while uh, this friendship well, who is involves uh, two of my heroes, uh, Harold Ramis and Bill Murray. Oh, those are two of my heroes, too. Mm. <laughs> That's great. Oh, I can't wait for this. And you, uh, you know, uh, Mark and I actually got to be there at Second City the night where they inducted Harold Ramis into the... Uh, Chicago Improv Hall of Fame, and they did that that yeah. whole tribute to him. That was that was mm-hmm. such a cool night. Um, and then that was uh, what was it? Two thousand ten or was it two thousand nine? I don't remember, but it was one of those. Yeah, I think it was like early on. I think it was two thousand ten because he died in two thousand eleven. Hmm. Um, Harold Ramis lived you know on the in the north shore he was he was actually born on the north side of chicago in 1944 bill murray was born uh in evanston but grew up in wilmette which is a north suburb of chicago uh, in 1950 mm-hmm. uh, but the two didn't meet until uh somewhere around 1968 ish because harold ramus was in the second city comedy troupe and he was in it with Bill Murray's older brother, Brian. And uh, it's it's safe to assume that Bill and Harold met before Bill was cast in Second City or hanging out somehow through Bill's oh, older yeah. brother, Brian. 
I mean, I feel like if Bill wanted to get into comedy and his older brother was already doing it, I I can assume they were they were probably drinking and palling around with the other performers. Yeah, Bill. You know, uh, Bill lost his father at the age of seventeen. His dad died of uh, complications to diabetes, and so um, you know, I'm sure Bill gravitated to his older brother Brian uh, as a little bit of a you know, father figure, male role model, and and a friend. Bill's very close to all of his siblings. Uh, he's he throughout this story, we'll see. You know, he sticks with his family. Um, Do now, they have kids? Because I feel like Bill Murray would be the like craziest uncle of all time. Bill Murray does have kids, and Harold Ramis has kids. Oh, sorry, I meant like his brothers, because you said he's like close to this family. Or oh, his, yeah. I think he has sisters, too. Yeah, he does have kids. Uh, I, I forgot I, Bill Murray has his own kids, too. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how involved they are. I don't know. It's Bill Murray's yeah. also very mysterious and guarded about his private life, which is another thing. But uh, anyway, so let's get to them meeting. So they meet, they meet at Second City, but Harold Ramis actually leaves Second City in 1969 after an LSD trip convinced him that he no longer should be on the stage. And so... Wow. Okay. So Harold Ramis went away. And um, while he was away, uh, John Belushi kind of replaced Harold in the cast, and Bill Murray was coming up on his own as well and then harold came back in i think 1972 and i had another lsd trip and it said you need a job man (laughs) you know no he did he did other stuff i forget what he did you know i think he went to college i know he went to washington university in st louis Hmm. so maybe he did some of that i know he worked in a um in I think he he was a substitute teacher in the Robert Taylor homes. Hmm. He was he wow. also worked in an insane asylum as well, but I'm not sure okay. when all that happened in the timeline of these things and it wasn't that important to the friendship except for uh working in an insane asylum uh and being a substitute t- teacher. Harold Ramis always credits to helping him become a much better listener and communicator. <laughs> and he highly recommends it for anyone. <laughs> I can see that. He said, he said, no matter what business you're in, if you if you work with uh, insane people, you will you'll really learn a lot about how to listen and manage people. <laughs> so uh, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, so so he comes back to Second City, and him and Bill Murray became good buddies, and John Belushi just got the producing job for the National Lampoon Radio Hour. And Belushi, big fan of Harold Ramis's work, big fan of Bill Murray's work, convinced both those guys to move to New York with him to do this National Lampoon Radio Hour. Out of the National Lampoon Radio Hour, uh, things aren't going as well because the show itself is it's pretty edgy. So they had trouble getting people willing to sponsor this show because <laughs> they were mm. afraid to attach their brand's name to to it for their content uh this allowed uh lauren michaels uh howard cosell and sctv to kind of talent poach everybody out of national lampoon radio hour and so uh you know belushi and uh uh chevy chase gilda radner went to 
uh, SNL. Harold Ramis and Joe Flaherty went to SCTV, and Bill Murray went to Howard Cosell's Friday Night Show, and uh, <laughs> and so the, so then they're separated again. But Harold, as everybody you know, kind of rises in popularity on their various shows. Harold gets to do the movie Animal House with Doug Kenny, who is his partner on Caddyshack as well. Yeah, and Animal House, you know, stars John Belushi. Big hit, one of the biggest comedies of all time, you know. Yeah. So everybody in Hollywood is interested in Harold Ramis and his big brain. So they uh, <laughs> they ask Harold to punch up the script to this goofy camp comedy called Meatballs, and <laughs> they recruit uh, the studio recruits Bill Murray to be the lead in Meatballs. Even back then, Bill Murray was really hard to get a hold of. For some reason, he was just always just, you know, elusive. So people weren't even sure that Murray was going to show up until the first day of production when he just popped up and they just started making the movie. (laughs) Harold Ramis, through this collaboration with Bill Murray, says he did this interview with the Onion AV Club, and I'll post it on... uh, on our show notes and he said in comedy we're out there alone and it turns out i don't want to work alone bill was a tremendous source of strength and protection if a scene didn't work out i'd just say okay let's start lighting and bill and i would talk for a half an hour and we'd get something great now uh that's meat- pretty amazing yeah meatballs has this famous a rallying speech where Bill Murray tells everybody, you know, it just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. Which is such a signature Bill Murray philosophy. <laughs> Everything is just that yeah. none of this matters. It's all it's all ridiculous. So just be present in the moment. Uh, and it's it's amazing that that he already is injecting this philosophy and Harold Ramis is injecting this philosophy in their movies as early as Meatballs. Then then we get to Caddyshack, yeah. where Harold collaborates with Brian Doyle Murray, Bill's older brother. And it's supposed mm-hmm. to be, and Doug Kenny again, it's, it's supposed to be about the Murray's adventures as caddies and, uh, and Will Met as kids. Well, as they make this movie... I can relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any great caddy stories, I had a Mark? Six-week <laughs> stint as a caddy. Um, no, I mean, look. Uh, just advice for anyone out there, you know, if you're visually impaired, caddy is not one of the jobs that is going to come easiest to you. Um, so I mostly spent my time getting like clubs thrown at me and then apologizing. <laughs> so now, uh, what happened with Caddyshack was, although the plot originally focused mostly on the caddies the star power in the movie was in rodney dangerfield chevy chase and bill murray and so and then also wayne knight as the the evil uh comedic foil to them now uh what happened was this this movie was plagued with all sorts of problems with uh rain and uh just it was it was a big mess but uh Harold was able to trust Bill Murray 
to improvise scenes and elevate his material where they were able to basically cut a really fun movie out of a film that wasn't really planned to be that way at all <laughs> yeah wow i didn't i did not know that i'm gonna have to go back and rewatch it and wonder like what what did they mean to be happening here i mean imagine just look at there's a scene with bill murray and chevy chase together that was reshot later they added that later because people just wanted bill murray and chevy chase to be in a scene together mm-hmm. and then they they would expand bill murray's improvisations like when he was carl uh doing the the whole uh, chatting to himself doing commentary about his golf swing you know like he's at the the masters yeah that's all improvised <laughs> that's uh, great they just just kept expanding these guys' parts and trimming down the the caddies' parts in the film, <laughs> but it worked. It was a huge hit. It was a huge hit, and there's so many you know merchandise and books and uh, you know there was a sequel made. <laughs> it made Harold Ramis into like this magic golden man, and uh, Ivan Reitman, who who helped uh, produce Animal House got to direct his first film and that was going to be a movie called Stripes and that movie was mm-hmm. originally written for Cheech and Chong but Ivan Reitman had this idea wow. of asking Harold Ramis to rewrite the movie to be uh, centered around Harold and Bill Murray and so Harold hmm. rewrote Stripes so were they essentially replacing Cheech and yes. Chong yes Oh, okay. This happens, you know. This happens all the time in movies. I mean, Hot Rod uh, was totally written for Will Ferrell and not for Andy Samberg. Um, one yeah. of some of the some of the best comedies uh, turn out. It's just somebody took something that was written for somebody else and then they figured out how to make it work for them. <laughs> it's a it's a common comedy thing. Um, you don't see it as much in dramas because you have to be a lot more specific with drama. And that that's something that Bill Murray learns the the hard way uh, when he makes the Razor's Edge. Um, so mm. Bill Bill and Harold have another huge hit in Stripes. Stripes is amazing, and Bill Murray is you know he's becoming a, a big star, and he he's starting to look to do other projects. Bill Murray has some very serious stories that he wants to tell some serious aspirations as an actor um, but Harold is still working on comedies and his next comedy that he's working on is Ghostbusters and the character of Peter Venkman was originally written for John Belushi but Belushi unfortunately died and they needed to mm-hmm. replace John Belushi in this film and, and save it they needed some star power and so they, they went back to Bill Murray and Bill Murray was not really interested in doing Ghostbusters in the first place. He was he, really? he did not want to do another comedy. He wanted to do The Razor's Edge. And Dan Aykroyd gave Bill Murray the idea. He said, how about you tell Columbia Pictures that you'll do Ghostbusters if they give you the money for Razor's Edge and they'll distribute it for you. And Bill Murray did it. Columbia agreed. 
but Columbia only would release the Razor's Edge after Ghostbusters came out. And hmm. wait, so as a slight, po- I don't, I've never seen the Razor's Edge. What is it about? The Razor's Edge is a, it's like a coming of age story about the, this guy. Uh, it's like Hunter S. Thompson, I think. Uh, or no, sorry, that's hmm. where the Buffalo roam. That was that was his other serious movie he did. Uh, the Razor's Edge is about uh, an American soldier who travels to Europe and India to kind of seek wisdom and become uh, uh, more present. Bill Murray is really into the teachings of this, uh, I think he's Russian philosopher. Oh, he's a Greco-Armenian Sufi mystic. George Ivanovich Gurdjieff. Gurdjieff. Okay. Uh, Gurdjieff believes that... He believes that most of us uh, live out our lives in a hypnosis-like state, like waking sleep. We never touch the state of higher consciousness because we become so invested in uh, either uh, our internal truth or the external truth. But uh, uh, Gurdjieff wants to wake you up out of being too attached to one or the other. Uh, He calls it the, the fourth way. He's one of the first uh, philosophers to kind of use the term consciousness. Uh, he's he would use like different uh, dances and things to kind of get you out of your head. Uh, there's there's a lot of things as I was reading uh, about this Gurdjieff guy and and how it affected Bill Murray. I was like a lot of this stuff uh, overlaps with the the teachings they do in improv. To get you out of your head. That's what I was just yeah. thinking. Yeah. Uh, and, and also, you know, Bill is always like, you know, he's never like completely invested in what's going on. He he kind of takes the air out of the balloon in, in things that are happening with his humor. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, he, yeah, he yeah. never reacts. It's amazing that it works because it's kind of the opposite of what they often tell you. But like he's just so good at it and and part of it is i think is because he practices this this intense presence you know he's trying to really be here now like ram das would say uh mm-hmm. and it's it's so fascinating to me to see uh him kind of uh be able to pull this off in in film in comedy and everything but he just he really believes this and uh harold ramus as an artist if, if you wanted to kind of have a, a better idea of him and i had it written down now I, I lost it if only that information could be here now if only it could be here now okay harold ramus was known for always attacking the smugness of institutional life uh he he always had these these weird tongue-in-cheek pep talks uh his characters were very very eloquent but they were lazy and angry and uh you know kind of stupidly idealistic but they were so eloquent in in their laziness that it was that it was funny you couldn't help but but admire 
these intelligent buffoons. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's how I would describe a great Harold Ramis characters. Uh, <laughs> so, so sorry, I sidetracked us from, we were just about to get into Ghostbusters. Yeah. So we get into Ghostbusters. Bill comes in and does Ghostbusters. Like I said in previous films, there's a lot of things where they just weren't sure how things were going to go, so they set up the camera and just figure it out. You can do that a little bit more in comedy, whereas in drama, it must be precise. And in The Razor's Edge, you know, Bill Murray just didn't really have the... Um, the experience, the crew, the you know, just anything to make this thing work, because it's just so it's it's very difficult, and yeah. um, and so the failure of the Razor's Edge just absolutely crushed Bill Murray, but the wild success of Ghostbusters <laughs> made him a very very wealthy and famous man, and so. Uh, he was dealing with you know personal anguish but public success and it was it was a very odd yeah. juxtaposition and he couldn't really go anywhere without you know people screaming you know ghostbusters ah! you know mm-hmm. so bill murray did not act in any movies for 4 years he took 4 years wow. off he moved to paris with his wife and kids and studied French and philosophy and history at uh, Sorbonne? Oh, yeah, the Sorbonne. Sorbonne, yeah. At the Sorbonne. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh... Damn. He would just... I didn't didn't know he had, like, an education break. Yeah, he took an education break. And, uh... (laughs) Yeah, he just went to the Sorbonne, and he lived there for about a year. He would, like, study in the morning, and then uh, go to, like, a chocolatier, and then get, like, 150 grams of chocolate, and then just walk around Paris giving people chocolate and talking to them, practicing French. And then he would go to the, the Cinematique, or is that how you say it? I don't know. <laughs> Uh, the sure. Cinematheque, and he would go and watch uh, silent films and different movies there, and just just kind of uh, be a citizen over there. He he was he knew everybody there knew him. They knew his name. He knew their names, and they all protected him. You know they were they were, they didn't you know call people and be like Bill Murray's here. Blah, blah, blah. They were just like yeah. They just took care of him, and he knew everybody there. He was just a fun guy that lived in the neighborhood. Um, so, so that was that's awesome. That was pretty wild. But while all that's going on, Harold Ramis is making uh, Back to School, Club Paradise, Armed and Dangerous, National Lampoon's Vacation, uh, Caddyshack Two. <laughs> uh, wow. He was writing the story for Rover Dangerfield, the cartoon about Rodney Dangerfield with a dog or as a dog. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he was busy, and he was also developing Ghostbusters too, of course. So Harold's still working, uh, and they they stayed in touch. But Bill was just aloof, doing his thing. Also, part of what made him run away was when after after all this stuff was done, he went to go hang out at his house 
you know, just kind of enjoy himself. But his phone wouldn't stop ringing of, you know, hey, I got this movie for you. Oh, uh, you know, let's do this. Let's do that. And he just didn't want to deal with anybody. And Hmm. so he fired his agent, fired managers, just fired everybody. uh, Switched his phone number to an 800 number and connected it to an answering service where people can just leave messages for him. And he's just had his phone that way ever since. Like after after he got wow. Ghostbusters famous, he's like, I just have an eight hundred number. That's it. <laughs> so does he not have like? I assume his family has maybe a cell phone or something for him, but that's that's pretty ballsy. But also, he doesn't, you know, especially at this point in his career, why change? It's not like he yeah. needs more projects coming his way. He just does exactly what he wants. It, it, uh, the projects he's missed out on are Roger Rabbit, uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. He's missed out on some Little Miss Sunshine, a few few big movies that he probably would have liked to have done. But he said, you know, mm-hmm. it just didn't work out. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah. He was just like, oh, well. He's busy being present. Yeah, he's fine. Um, so he, he comes back to do Scrooged. And that's his, that's his comeback film. Hmm. Um, and uh, already throughout all this, Bill Murray is developing a reputation as the Murricane. Uh, as Dan Aykroyd would call him. <laughs> Because uh, he he would just blow up on people, and uh, I, apparently he didn't get along well with Sean Young, the the actress uh, that was his love interest on Stripes. He didn't get along well with Richard Donner, supposedly, who directed Scrooged. Because mm-hmm. you know he just has his ideas, and then also Murray supposedly did not get along well with Richard Dreyfuss on What About Bob. Hmm. That's true. That's. Tough. I guess he he pushed uh, the film's producer Laura Ziskin into into the lake. Bill Murray. Wow, it's 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 so interesting because so much of the stuff we've just talked about is him as like this man trying to be present, and it it has a sort of like Zen quality to it, and it makes me wonder if part of why he was reaching so desperately for that is because there's so much going on inside him that sometimes manifests as, you know, the hurricane or yeah. whatever. There's there's a story where uh, Richard Dreyfus said that Murray screamed at him while he was intoxicated. And he said to Dreyfus, everyone hates you. You are tolerated. And then he threw an ashtray at him. <laughs> uh, wow. I mean, even later... Uh, uh, Lucy Liu threw punches at Bill Murray on Charlie's Angels when he said that she couldn't act. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And there's also a rumor that it's he also I'm picturing that from and, Bill Murray. We don't know for sure, <laughs> uh, but but uh, uh, McGee says that Bill Murray headbutted him. <laughs> it's so devastating to like hear an insult from Bill Murray because. He would, you know, it'd just be like, well, I guess if he's like drunk and screaming at people, but I'm also picturing it in like his on-screen presence of just him being like, well, you can't act. So, yeah, I'll always have that on you. Oh, just de- <laughs> you know? be devastating. Like just something like, 
It's ba- like basically just him. It's it's basically him saying almost any line from like a Royal Tenenbaums, Wes Anderson kind of oh. role. So uh, let let's get to let's get to Groundhog Day, because here's here's yeah uh, where it all comes to, and it's also part of why I picked this episode because we're, this episode should come out right before Groundhog Day, so you guys uh, will oh, have time awesome. to watch Groundhog Day and enjoy it. February second is Groundhog Day. I've heard that if the Groundhog comes out on a ventilator, we have six more weeks. Oh my of COVID. god! Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. So, uh so let's get to Groundhog Day. Um yeah, which cuz like you think this would be this is a kind of serious movie. It's a very serious movie in a lot of well, ways. Well, so so it's written by Danny Rubin, but uh but they brought in Harold Ramis to direct and then also kind of do a pass on the screenplay. And uh and they really thought that you know, it was going to be the best if they brought in Bill Murray to star. Uh, Harold mm-hmm. really, really kind of made the movies bigger questions and philosophical things much more succinct into uh, this clear arc. That's This is the worst day of Phil Connor's life. What would make it even worse? Repeating it every day. And that's yeah. that made it easy to sell. Then uh, Murray got on to the movie. He was still on this, you know, kind of serious philosophical kick. I mean, which he basically has maintained his whole life. You you see it keep popping up in all of his movies. Uh, but Ramis was also looking for more comedy, and he wanted to inject some more comedy into the film. And so the two would clash over, you know, whether it would be you know, more of a comedy or more of a contemplative, serious film. Um, Hmm. Bill Murray was going through a lot of troubles with his marriage at the time uh, and other personal problems. People aren't really vague about it because, I don't know, it was a long time ago as well. Um, Mm -hmm. And he would show up late. He would be belligerent to to people on the set. It was very much like Phil Connors' character. It was very real. Uh, yeah, but I guess one day on the set, uh, this is according to Harold Ramis's daughter, Violet. She wrote a book, uh, about, uh, her dad, you know, being a ghostbuster and all that stuff. Uh, cause she was there for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she said there was one argument where Harold lost his temper and grabbed Bill by the collar and shoved him up against a wall. And Bill just kind of shut out Harold after that for the next like 25 years 26 years something like that wow. yeah um and all like he just wouldn't answer a phone call like he finished the movie and then was just like that's it yeah. we're done he uh the movie was a huge hit and n- now there's like college courses based on the film and just so many amazing things yeah. Uh, based on, on this movie, there's a musical. It's effectively, it's a genre of movie, like, now. You'll hear things, it's like, it's a blank, like, but meets Groundhog Day. Yeah. Or, like, it's a it's a Groundhog Day, but, like, in a sci-fi Groundhog yeah. Day. So, um, it's, it's, it's hard to say 
what what exactly it was because Bill Murray has never said what it was and uh, Harold Ramis died in 2011 so we don't know uh, but there are a couple of interviews where Harold uh, you know kind of shed some light on things and then other friends shed some light on things uh, Michael Schamberg who's a, a producer and a college friend of Harold Ramis said that he thinks that Bill Murray grew disenchanted with the notion that Ramis was responsible for his best work. And oh, interesting. And he said like cuz it feels like people are taking credit away from him giving it to Ramis. Yeah. And uh Schamberg said Bill owes everything to Harold and he probably has a thimble full of gratitude. Uh wow pretty cutting criticism of mr murray there it i mean it is a tricky relationship because for especially for someone whose comedy is so specific as bill murray to find a collaborator who knows how to you know lob you a pitch right down the middle or just give you the freedom to improvise that's that's pretty valuable yeah there's a there's the most revealing interview about their friendship towards the end was uh, one that was in The Onion in 2009. Uh, and they asked Harold Ramis about it. And he says, We have no social relationship whatsoever. He's very elusive. Uh, I'm the only one who talks about our relationship. He won't tell you. He's a very private person. He doesn't do serious interviews. Once in a while, but not self-revealing. The most self-revealing thing I ever saw was never in press or publicity. It was in Lost in Translation or Rushmore. Those movies kind of defined a side of him that the public is not aware of. If you look at his career, he got tired of being the crazy life of the party guy. That's quite a load to carry. And he carried it a bunch of times so successfully, and he just didn't want to do it anymore. And he started exploring this more adult, more serious side of himself. That's fine. I admired it and respected it, and I like his work in those films. I just had so little social contact with him that I don't have any perspective on anything he does, thinks, or feels, and he gives no clues. I was like, wow, that's such a sad thing to hear Harold Ramis say about Bill Murray, who I should mention is the godfather of his daughter. Wow. Yeah. It's it's weird. It's like he's... um. It's strange to lose a friend, but then to lose a friend who's so public that you see them all the time on your screens. And maybe at events, too, for all, you know, I know. He said, later in the interview, he says, I've had many dreams about him, Bill Murray, uh, that we're friends again. Mm -hmm. There was a great reunion feeling in those dreams. Bill was a strong man. Belushi had that before too he was a rock for us you do movie with Bill a big comedy in those early days just knowing he could save the day no matter how bad the script was we'd find something through improvisation that was our alliance kind of our big bond I could help him be the best funny Bill Murray he could be and I think he appreciated that then and I don't know where that went but it's there on film so whatever happens between us in the future at least we have those expressions. That's, I'm glad that they have that. And it's weird. I wonder if, in a weird way, I wonder if 
social media like Facebook and Instagram or whatever are living on that way for other people who are going through changes of their life, changes in their friends, but they can always scroll back and see like, hey, that this we'll always have these expressions. Mm-hmm. Unless you delete the account, then, you know, that's that. <laughs> sure, sure, yeah. Yeah, all my good friends on Parlor, I'm never going to yeah. remember, unfortunately. And uh, Violet said that uh, Harold tried tried to be diplomatic, but uh, it bothered him. And he said it. He's heartbroken, confused, but you know, kind of unsurprised by the rejection. Yeah. Wow. Bill. And is that well, sort of? With, yeah. Oh, so when Harold. Uh, started to take a turn for the worse with his illness. Uh, The person who introduced the two of them was the one who reunited them. It was Bill's older brother, Brian. Uh, He he called Mm. Bill to to go make peace with Harold. So one morning, unannounced, Bill Murray showed up at Harold Ramis' door with donuts. And uh, they spent uh, about a half hour, an hour together. Uh, it's said that they talked about the Cubs, talked about one another, and uh, there isn't much that Harold could really say at that time. Harold was really uh, was almost nonverbal because uh, his his uh, disease was so bad at the time. Mm-hmm. I forget what it's called. I probably can't even pronounce it properly. Um. But yeah, and then uh, Harold passed away, and uh, Bill made that that speech about him at the Oscars that was uh, very sweet and poignant. But yeah, we mm-hmm. we 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 don't know if things were actually quashed or how things really. The only people that know are Bill and Harold. Wow. Yeah, I mean. I'm just glad that they had some time together before they didn't have a chance. I don't know, you know, I don't know Bill Murray personally, but it feels like something that he might, he might have regretted at Oh some my point. God. He, uh, yeah, he, it seems that, you know, Bill had a lot, a lot, a lot of love for Harold and the things that they made together. And uh, I don't know what it was that kept him away for so 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 very long <laughs> um, yeah but uh i'm I'm glad that they did at least come back together but it, i I think it just goes to show that uh you know there there are some things that uh you know it's just not worth uh fighting for that law it's just not worth it yeah I completely agree. <laughs> and you can go have your serious yeah. career and you know whatever and just you'd still be friends. And uh, unfortunately, but also sometimes the people you care about the most are the ones you who hurt you the most, you know, whether they mean to yeah. or not. Bill, Bill has not or whether it's really justified uh, or not. Bill has not reached out to Violet. Uh 
She said she was hoping that her godfather would be more involved in her life, but that is just not the case. Uh, hmm. He's he's pretty unavailable. Uh, um, she could always leave a message with his answering service. She said she has. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, she uh, her book is pretty interesting. She reveals some some cool things about Harold Ramis and all all that stuff going on. I guess his original marriage was an open marriage, and he actually has a daughter with Amy Heckerling, who wrote Fast Times at Ridgemont High and Clueless. Oh wow! Yeah, they have like a a daughter out of wedlock together. Uh, when when he was in an open marriage. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. Do you have any other questions or odd tidbits or things? I don't know. No, I, that, I, that's a. It's just a fascinating story, and it has sort of bittersweet ending. But it really makes you think about the people who bring out certain sides of you, and if you want to move on or show other sides of yourself. It seems, you know, it feels like you can't be around those people. And maybe that's true to some extent. I don't know. I feel, you know, I feel like when I, when I see friends, I, from different parts of my life, I act the way I more like the way I did at that time of my life. When certainly when I, when I visit my parents, I, there's a little bit more like bratty teenager in me than I would like mm-hmm. to admit. Um, but that doesn't mean that. I don't know. You know, it's like if that's that's maybe the reaction, but the cost of cutting them off might be much higher than just sucking it up for a little bit of that. Yeah, there's different, you know, there's it's so you just got to make peace with the different sides of ourselves and that's that's hard. I think mm-hmm. you know, part of it is is uh you know, Gosh, if you if you need to seek therapy or or you know do some meditating or whatever it takes, you got to do something. You, being mad at somebody for a decade is just that's rough. <laughs> yeah, it's harder on you honestly than them for the most part. Yeah, you got to spend all your time avoiding them. <laughs> yeah, and just carrying that grudge. It's it's probably very hard to be here now when you have that much to be upset about. Yeah. I I like to think that Bill Murray is constantly growing and learning and hopefully yeah. uh he is a better person than than he was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Just like we hope that we are better friends than we were yesterday. So yeah. as we all continue <laughs> on this path, just hope for the best. Well, and one thing I've always appreciated about his work is that it's it's just pretty honest about himself or whatever. And uh, it's, I don't know. It's one thing I, that I've always really enjoyed about watching him on screen. And obviously being brutally honest sometimes has its downsides. Um, But like, he's just, he's always bringing himself for better or Mm -hmm. worse. Um, He's great. And on the rocks, by the way. Oh yeah. I got to watch that. Cool. Yeah. Well, thank you all for listening this um, week. Uh, you can always follow us on 
on Twitter at my fav friendship, and then at my favorite friendship on Instagram and Facebook. You can follow Mark at Mark Musinski on all platforms. You can follow me at Brian Wool. Both are spelled like they sound. Um, yeah, is there anything else going on? I don't know. No, just um, have a great yeah, week. Yeah, hopefully, you know, we don't have any more insurrections. We could just, you know, have a fun Groundhog Day. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. Dope. Well, until then, bye. bye.